morning and welcome. How many veterans do we have here today? Okay, stand up. We appreciate you guys. Okay, thank you. You may be seated. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm appreciative uh, so much for this generation that has recognized uh, the importance of the, the, the sacrifice uh, that our veterans uh, make. Yeah, I think it's very important, very critical. My generation didn't realize that. And uh, so I'm really thankful for the guys today to see um, that uh, they are getting appreciated, uh, plus the wonderful free meals that you get uh, in all the restaurants. And uh, what a wonderful thing. Okay, let's turn our Bibles to uh, Revelation this morning. Uh, we are in chapter 2, and we are looking at the seven churches. Uh, we looked uh, last week at uh, the church of Ephesus, very key church, important church. And as we look at Smyrna uh, this morning, the persecuted church, um, really just uh, four, four verses but there's uh, much to really say uh, regarding this church. And one of the reasons I think that it's a, a short commendation, commendation is that's all that it is. There, there's no reproof here. There's no rebuke. Uh, this church, um, which really signified many different churches, and even churches today, uh, that are suffering you know, for the cause of Christ. Um, I think we in the Western world are somewhat removed from that, uh, we hear of it from time to time, but it's been a constant really throughout history, and perhaps maybe the persecution over the last hundred years um, has come to a fever pitch and perhaps is greater uh, than it's ever been. But if you'll follow me, uh, starting in verse 8 uh, through verse 11, then we'll have a word of prayer. John writing, the Lord speaking, and to the angel of the church of Smyrna write, these things says the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. I know your works, your tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are, uh, but are a synagogue of Satan. So do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. And so be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Uh, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. And Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, it's your faithfulness at work in us that would ever make us faithful in any way or would enable us to overcome. Lord, we're grateful and we're thankful. And Father, we pray today, Lord, for the, the persecuted churches in this world. Lord, those believers, Lord, that uh, are living under the shadow of oppression, Lord, the, the threat of, of uh, even possible murder. 
And Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters around the world. And we ask you, Lord, to, to grant them special grace. Lord, you've blessed this nation in so many ways that for the most part, Lord, we, we do not fear uh, persecution. And yet we see persecution, even as we gathered last Sunday. It was taking place at a church in Texas. And so, Lord, we, we look to you. We thank you that you're our keeper. And we know as it gets closer to your return that there will be an uptick, Lord, in persecution of your church and your people. Lord, not just in some faraway place, but even here in our own nation. Lord, we've seen it, Lord, rear its ugly head from time to time. And Lord, we are so thankful for your protection. Lord, your protection upon our lives. Lord, your mercy, Lord, uh, to our families. Uh, Lord, to the body of Christ in so many ways. Lord, may we always be thankful. Lord, uh, too easy. Uh, Lord, to be complaining about things. Got much to be grateful for. And particularly, Lord, as we come to this time of Thanksgiving, we're reminded of that once again. Lord, how faithful you are, and we give you thanks. We give you praise. We adore you, Lord. We worship you as our great and awesome God, our keeper, Lord, our shepherd. And Father, as we consider these things this morning, how I pray, Lord, that you would just speak, Lord, your truth to our lives and, Lord, to our hearts. Lord, help us, we pray. Lord, uh, Lord, to be all in for Jesus. Help us to do that, Lord. Lord, the, the, the world's always trying to, to pull us away. But, Lord, we, uh, we realize how important it is, Lord, to be willing, Lord, to count the cost to be a disciple, but also to the pay the price. Lord, to be so committed to you that we would be more concerned of offending you than we would be in offending any human being. So, Lord, uh, bless this time, we pray, in Jesus' name precious name we pray amen now we looked at uh, Ephesus last week and uh, the church that we uh, look at this morning is Smyrna uh, which was 40 miles north uh, of Ephesus it was a seaport it was a bustling seaport it was a commercial center um, it was known in antiquity as the pride of Asia uh, also too we find that this the city exists today it's the third largest city in Turkey, and its name is Izmir. But in antiquity, the name was Smyrna. And Smyrna simply translated means myrrh. And myrrh was, uh, was, a, um, it was a spice, a very aromatic spice, uh, that was taken from the flowering myrrh tree. And, it was, and, and the spice was taken from the bark. Uh, the bark was basically you know, pulverized, and then it became a, a, a spice, a, a very fragrant spice. And I was kind of doing a little research on it and reading up on it. And um, many of the people that I, uh, uh, you know, the, the author and so, so forth about the piece was saying, uh, it was a fragrance that they didn't like. And I thought that was kind of interesting um, because, uh, and it reminds me, you know, regarding because, uh, the, remember, the wise men brought myrrh as one of the gifts to Jesus. And what it spoke about was his suffering. Uh, and in order for this, you know, this uh, tree bark, this spice to really give off its fragrance and aroma, it had to be crushed. It had to be pulverized. 
And I was just thinking about it, much like suffering, we don't want that fragrance. We don't like that fragrance. Um, I, I don't think any of us do, and I think it would be maybe be perhaps something a little bit weird or sick, you know, if we did like suffering. But as we look at this whole matter of, of Smyrna and of myrrh, it really, really speaks of, it speaks of, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it speaks of his suffering. Uh, and remember, you know, the Bible tells us as much as we don't like it, that we're called to that. Uh, you know, not only to know him, but to suffer for his sake, as, as uh, uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 29 tells us. Uh, I was thinking uh, over the last couple of days, this verse uh, kept coming to me, these verses. And um, let's see, it's, I think it's in is it 2 Corinthians, I think it's 2 Corinthians here, where uh, Paul speaks about this. And, and uh, uh, he says, now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. And through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ uh, among those who are being saved. And he also goes on to say, um, to the one we are the aroma of, 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 of life, uh, leading to life. And uh, sometimes that happens, and oftentimes that happens when we feel like we're maybe we're being persecuted. You know, we're, we're suffering to some degree. You know, we're going through different trials and tribulation and things of that particular nature. All those things that we don't like, but we find that they come to us. And God ordains that, that they come to us. Uh, and also, too, we have to remember uh, that even though he allows those things to come into our life, that he's wonderfully and faithfully promised that he will not give us more than we can bear. I love that verse. I, I, I praise him for that one, uh, that he is so faithful that he will not allow us to be overcome and, and he will give us uh, um, you know, uh, nothing more than we can really handle or we can bear. Now, this was the one city where people came to worship Caesar. Uh, there was a temple that was built there in Smyrna to his honor. And it, was, and it also fell to the citizenry that you had to come there once a year and you had to make a political statement. And the statement was simply this, Caesar is Lord. Can you imagine that? That you'd have to check in with the authorities every year and mention that very thing, you know, pledging allegiance, you know, to Caesar. Uh, just like in a sense, maybe perhaps maybe we pledge allegiance, you know, to, you know, to, the, you know, to our country. Um, but if you didn't pledge allegiance to Caesar... Uh, it was a very costly thing. Uh, it was a very costly thing. Uh, there was persecution that would take place uh, regarding that. You could go to jail or you maybe even face the whole matter, the issue of death. You know, a lot of times when we say Jesus is Lord, you know, in that particular environment, and actually in many places in our world today, when you say that, it really means to lay everything on the line. There are many places in our world today to, to simply come and meet, like you and I are meeting this morning, can really cost you everything. Um, and I think, that, I think that opportunities do come to you and I to really make a stand for Jesus, to, to really let people know uh, where we stand. I, I believe that God sets those things up for us. He gives us those opportunities to declare him. Um, and there's a blessing in doing that. But also, too, I think uh, for many people, could, there can be a fear associated with that. Uh, will it cost me, you know, my reputation uh, among my peers? Will it cost me some friendships? Could it cost me my job? Um, and, it, and, and it has. Even in this country, those kind of things have been costly uh, to some of God's people as they have sought to follow him and be obedient to him. 
Now, in verse 8, we're going to find here in every one of these, when he addresses these different churches, he borrows something, he takes something from his profile in in chapter 1. There's some aspect and some element that he applies to each and every church, uh, simply just reminding uh, them, you know, of who he is. Um, I, I think sometimes, uh, you know, we, 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 we tend to forget that when we're in the midst of our trial, when we're being pressed, you know, out of measure and, and out of shape regarding things. We, we forget, you know, we forget who we serve and we forget who we are. Um, uh, there's a song uh, on Christian radio, remind me who I am. And, and that's, the Bible does that, doesn't it? Uh, when I think of that, I'll always, I, th- I can't help but think about Nehemiah. When Nehemiah was under pressure and temptation, he said this, should such a man as I run? And, and it was simply a reminder of the fact that he belonged to the king. That, that it was just simply, it was bigger than him, it was bigger than the temptation, um, and bigger than the circumstance. And I think sometimes, too, we need to remind ourselves, you know, of what God has done for us. But here we find the Lord is simply reminding each one of these churches some aspect of his person, uh, some part of his profile. And when he says it here, I'm the first, I'm the last who was dead and came to life. In other words, he's the creator. And he's the one also, too, that will, comp- you know, that will consummate all things. Uh, he's the author, as, as the, the writer of Hebrews tells us, he's the author and finisher of our faith. Uh, we need to remember that, that he's going to author faith. If you need more faith, he'll give you faith. But we have to, I think, stand and put ourselves in those situations uh, where we need the faith. In other words, the miracle oftentimes doesn't come until we put ourselves in the impossible situation where there's a need there and we cry out in faith and we ask him to do what we believe that he can do. Whether he does it or not, uh, like the children of, you know, remember the children of Israel in Daniel's day, you know, whether he delivers us or not, we're going to trust him. And uh, so whether God, you know, answers our prayer, um, our desire, the fact of the matter is we're going to continue to trust him and, and look to him. Now in verse 9, these Christians had experienced tremendous persecution. And from this period, from like 160 to about 300, 325, is known as the age of the martyrs. There was horrific persecution. Even Nero, was, was historically, I think it was Tacitus, the historian, t- talks about Christians that were taken, uh, they were wrapped in animal skins and they were put in the Colosseum to be, just to be eaten by animals. Uh, he would take them also too and tie them in his gardens when he was having some kind of a uh, some great festival or whatever, he would tie them in his gardens uh, to a pole, um, covering them with oil and light them as human torches. Can you imagine such incredible, incredible brutality? Well, I'll tell you what, it would certainly thin out the church, wouldn't it? There wouldn't be too many false professors uh, when, it, when it comes to that kind of persecution, when God's people knew that if, hey, if I align myself with the Jesus Christ, it's going to cost me in a very tremendous kind of way. Now, he says in verse 9, he says, I know your works, your, your tribulations, your trials, your poverty, but you are rich. Uh, and I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. We need to remember there, too, that the early church was primarily Jewish. Okay, this is, this is not to single out just Jewish people as persecuting the church uh, because sometimes that has been used uh, in the wrong way. Remember, these were Jewish people who were fanatical but, but persecuting other Jewish people uh, that were aligning themselves with the Messiah and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So we find here that they were slandered, uh, they were losing uh, their lifestyles, their jobs, uh, their homes, and many of them lost their lives. You know, when you look at these particular trials, that they brought great poverty. And, um, uh, you know, you see that sometimes, uh, like for instance, you see that uh, not so much towards the church, but towards the Jews uh, in the pogroms that took place in Europe uh, and the, uh, the Holocaust and so forth that, that uh, in the, in the beginning, they just had to wear a yellow star, but as, as it progressed, before you know it, they were driven. Their businesses was, were taking away, taken away from them, their homes as well. Um, things were wrecked, and they were driven not only out of town, but they were driven to extermination camps. And, um, you know, when you think about that, that has happened in, in some of us here within our lifetimes. That very thing has happened. Uh, I was I was born on the in the uh, basically on the sh in the shadow of that, uh, but we think sometimes those things can happen, folks. They're happening. Uh, there's all kinds of purges taking place place around the world, and oftentimes you know uh, we you know we may hear it from the news and it may sound like an ethnic purge, uh, but it's really against Christians. Uh, it's a tremendous persecution uh, presently in Sudan, uh, in in Niger. Uh, these nations here, that, that uh, particularly that northern half of Africa, uh, is filled with, with Islamic influence. Um, and we hear the stories. Um, Wes Bentley was just recently send, he sent a picture um, uh, just so that we would get an idea to, to a number of the pastors that, that are involved with his work there uh, of somebody that uh, one of the chaplains... Uh, uh, his uncle and his uncle's brother were both beheaded, um, and he sent a picture of that. It was just absolutely, you know, brutal. Uh, and this kind of thing is taking place, you know, actually, you know, you know, as we speak, uh, you know, look, look what's even beginning to happen, and it's happened a number of times, you know, in our own particular nation. And, um, but he says about them, even though they had poverty, they were rich uh, in faith, I want to just read something to you that uh, uh, came to me uh, a couple of weeks ago, and it's a just it's a plea for the a prayer um, because just a couple of Sundays ago was uh, International Day to pray for the persecuted church, and, and the writer says here more Christians are persecuted today than ever before, uh, which is why we want to join in prayer for the persecuted church. On a sunny day last May, several families climbed into a couple of buses happily looking forward to visiting a monastery together. But they never made it. Instead, half of them, including ten children, were slaughtered. You see, these families were Egyptian Christians. Islamic terrorists dressed in military fatigue stopped the buses and ordered the riders off. And as one eyewitness later said, quote, each pilgrim came off the bus, they were asked to renounce their Christian faith and profess faith in Islam. But all of them, even the children, refused. And the terrorists murdered 29 Christians before they fled. It's a time to focus our attention on our brothers and sisters who are being arrested, tortured, murdered, and driven out of their homeland simply because they worship Jesus. The attack in Egypt was just one of many around the world last spring. In Germany, a Muslim stabbed a woman to death. And it was a woman who had converted from Islam to Christianity. In Pakistan, a Christian pastor was sentenced to life in prison and tortured for blasphemy. He reported that he had been tortured many times before. In North Korea, entire families are thrown into labor camps. 
where they often die from torture, beatings, and starvation. In Turkey last year, an American missionary named Andrew Brunson was locked up on the absurd grounds that he was a terrorist. Uh, Islamists have also swept through Niger, uh, setting fire to Christian churches, orphanages, schools, and homes, and I could go on. And according to Open Doors USA, the worst offenders are North Korea, Somalia, Afghanistan, Pakistan, and Sudan. Sometimes Christians are persecuted by a hostile government uh, such as is in China. But in the majority of countries, Islamic extremists are at fault. Tragically, Western gov uh, governments of the and the United Nations are not doing enough to prevent genocidal, genocidal efforts. Uh, they should and they must. Um, and so more Christians are being persecuted today than ever before in history. Some 100 million believers are at risk. And yet the, word, uh, the world press largely ignores this massive human, uh, humanitarian horror. And it's true. Uh, we, we see how uh, the media basically ignores those kinds of things. And so often um, the things that they do highlight uh, are really trivial to the persecution against the church. And I, I just want to read that because you know what? Um, when's the last time that you and we have prayed for the persecuted church? We need to think about that. These are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and that's why there is a value in us being involved in world missions. There is a, there's a value in us going to other countries uh, like we do every year. We go someplace uh, to, you know, to try to be a blessing as much as we can. But, but when you do, and I would encourage you, if you've never been on a, on a, on a, uh, a short-term mission, you need to pray about that and think about that. Um, it, it will broaden your horizon as far as what takes place, you know, in the rest of the world. And particularly as it relates, you know, to God's people and some of the things that they have to face that perhaps maybe you and I will never face those things. So they, the, this group had been uh, fanatically slandered, um, you know, by uh, another, by a Jewish group there. But I like here in verse 9, because it says it two times, Jesus says, I know. I know. I know what you're going through. And maybe perhaps today, if you're struggling and going through something, he knows. He knows. He understands. Remember, nobody can sympathize with you and I like Jesus. You know, sometimes people say, well, I feel your pain. And you just kind of know it maybe came across in a little too flippant of a way that they really don't feel your pain. But you know what he does? He does. And that's why I think also, too, that we need to open ourselves up to encourage one another when we see our brothers and sisters, you know, going through something difficult. You know, to mourn with those who mourn. As we know somebody to be going through some difficult time, some struggle, to just reach out and minister to them in the name of Jesus. Now, in verse 10, uh, this has to do, really, with our response, you know, to trials, to suffering, to persecution. Because, you know, how we respond to something oftentimes comprises the larger percentage of, you know, uh, you know what takes place after we may be going through the trial and how we handle the trial and how we handle maybe some... Uh, you know, some persecution or some suffering or some, to some particular degree. You know, what, what, what is going to be, how do I respond? How do I react to those things when they come to my address? 
when they impact my life. Because the fact of the matter is they're going to do that. It, it's, it's a matter of time. It's not just, you know, sometimes it is, and oftentimes it may be because you love Jesus. But, you know, also, too, trials are a part of life. We can't evade them. We do our best. <laughs> but the fact is we cannot evade them. Now he says here, do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Well, you know, how do you, what do you say when a trial comes your way? <laughs> oh, Lord, I'm so blessed. <laughs> this, this has happened to me. No, you don't, and I don't either. But the fact of the matter, they are, that is going to come. It's going to touch my life in some kind of way. Listen to the one, listen to the one who endured all things for our sakes. Remember Paul said that about some of his trials. He said, I, I don't know what, what church it was to, but he says, we, we endure this for, you know, uh, you know, for, the, for the righteous, for, you know, for your sakes. And there are things that you, know, that you and I go through that can become so beneficial as we, as we redeem the trials, redeem those difficult things that our life faces, that they become, in a sense, really an opportunity, a ministry for us. That's what I think Second uh, uh, Corinthians chapter 1 speaks about, you know, that we receive grace and consolation uh, that comes to our life. Uh, so that we become, you know, we become a minister in a sense. We become uh, an encouragement to those around us uh, because everybody eventually goes through these things. And, you know, I've noticed in the lives of people that have really suffered, man, there's a sweetness there. You ever notice that? Somebody that's really gone through difficulties and trials and suffering, there's a beauty there. There's a sweetness that comes, you know, through that. Because there's a, there's a personal, as we go through trials and things of that nature, there's a personal benefit. There's a transaction that takes place, you know, in our lives, you know, as we simply trust him. You know, rather than just fighting it, you know, fighting it and getting mad and getting angry because, you know, I can't control my situation. And then we just become angry people. There's a blessing. There's a benefit. Now, listen to what our Lord says. He says in uh, Matthew 5, 10 through 12, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And it's so important, too, when the Lord is telling us here um, there's a blessing in it when we're persecuted for righteousness' sake, not foolishness' sake. You know, some people, some can, can maybe uh, they may get persecuted because they're being foolish and handling the situation the wrong way. He goes on to say, "For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake." And I'll tell you what: when you get slandered, man, that's a difficult thing. Don't you want to defend yourself? Yeah, you do. I always love what David said, because usually when I get into situations where I want to defend myself, I end up reading, the Lord is my defense. That happened to you too? You realize that God's got to be the one, ultimately, that defends you. Because, you know, you can go around defending yourself for the rest of your life. But you know, when the Lord vindicates you, and when he defends you, it's a beautiful thing. But it's a hard thing. It's a difficult thing when people are saying things about you behind your back and, and, and it gets back to you that you're being slandered. 
And that's painful. That, that's very hurtful. But Jesus said, blessed are you when they do that. He says, rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. So persecuted they the prophets who were before you. Now, Jesus goes on to say in that same chapter, 43, he says, uh, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That, that, was, that was the theology um, you know, of the day in Israel. And it had been around for a long time. Love, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But Jesus says, I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. And do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Man, I'll tell you, praying for your enemies. Hmm. That's a tough one. I like praying for my friends. I like praying for you guys. But when someone sticks a knife in your back and it hurts, man, that's a challenge. Man, you need the Holy. You can't do that without the Holy Spirit. You need, the, you need to trust him. You need to let him guide you and lead you. Or else it's going to be, you know, tit for tat. Tweet for tweet. You're not going to let anything go. You're going to strike right back. That, that's, that's, that's very natural, very normal. But man, I'll tell you what, this is the nature of Jesus. And it's what he calls us to. Not that, that, not that we're ever perfect in it. But we need to look at this and realize, that's what I need to do. Lord, help me to do that. Help me to, 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 to bless those that, that are speaking against me and those people that would use me. And I'll tell you what, God will wonderfully encourage us. Now, the thing that he says also to here back in verse 10, he says, don't fear any of those things. See, because fear will, will neutralize and it will make your faith ineffective. Fear will just absolutely cripple you, you know, in your spiritual life and in your spiritual walk. Because you're afraid. You're fearful of this and fearful of that. There's something about fear that makes you want to just sort of hide. And what I mean there is I want to protect myself. You know what happens when you get hurt? It's like, I'm not going to make myself vulnerable anymore. I'm not going to put myself out there. You know, somebody used me. They used me. They took advantage of me. They, they exploited me. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to put myself out there. I think every one of us at one time or another, we have felt like that, haven't we? I'm not going to be a doormat. We have that famous saying, don't we? I'm not going to be a doormat. What about when Jesus calls you and me to be a doormat? <laughs> In other words, I think we need to look at it a little bit differently. Not a doormat, but a bridge. A bridge. Because as we lay aside our interest and our natural reactions, we become a bridge in a sense that brings people to Jesus. But a bridge means somebody walks on me. But we have to remember the end result. We're bringing people to Jesus.
putting, I'm putting aside my self-interest, my own desires. And a lot of times, it, it, it only, it, it's only by faith that we can see that. Because there's a natural fear that I don't want to make myself vulnerable. A natural fear there. And every one of us have it. I don't want to be used. I don't want to be exploited. But when we do it for Jesus' sake, and, and there, folks, we have to realize there's times where he sets that up. He sets that up for us. And we can, we can keep avoiding it. But eventually, you've got to yield to it. You've got to give in to it. I think fear also, too, is a thing, you know, it keeps us from obedience. It keeps us from trusting him, from stepping out in faith. And, you know, fear will make you shrink back from the will of God. Uh, I was thinking about this verse over in Hebrews. And this verse, is this, this thought here is attached to a verse that we find four times in the Scripture. Three times in the New Testament and once in the book of Habakkuk. And that is simply this. Remember, it was the verse that really spawned the Reformation in Hebrews. But in Hebrews 10.38, it says this. For yet a little while, he who is coming will come and will not tarry. And now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Don't shrink back. Trust Keep moving forward. That's, that's, that the Lord is saying that. I'd rather risk. I'd rather risk something for God than hold back and suffer the consequences. And then live in fear and unbelief. It is amazing when you find out so much of the Christian life is faith. It's a believing and stepping out in faith, obeying God, not giving in to the fear. I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people, even in Christian circles, have given in out of fear to political correctness. They're afraid to make a statement of faith and truth. Because I'm afraid if I say it, they'll think I'm a Bible wacko. Or so often the way the devil turns the argument, if you disagree with them, well, then you're hateful. Oh, I, I don't want anybody to think that about me, so I, I'm not going to share, the, I'm not going to say anything. And you know what? There's a risk there. There is a risk for you and I because remember, it's the truth that's going to set people free. And to be a Christian, to be a believer, you've got to risk something. A friendship. Your own reputation, what people think about you. what your family thinks about you. Hey, we're coming up on holiday season, folks. 
May God give us opportunities to talk about the reason for the season. Amen. May God give us holy boldness. Well, they don't want to hear it. Did you want to hear it? They need to hear it. People need the Lord. They don't want the Lord. I mean, I, I, when the gospel came to me, man, I pushed back. I pushed back. Not for a long time, but, but I, I was, one of the first things I said is I got my religion. <laughs> I got my religion. Leave me alone. But they didn't leave me alone. They were a bunch of Jesus wackos, and praise God for them. <laughs> they were, back then, it was Jesus freaks. They were bona fide Jesus freaks. And I'm thankful the Lord ran me into that crowd. Because they wouldn't stop talking about the Bible. They just kept giving me verse after verse after verse. Now, in verse 8, he basically reminds us that he's eternal. And as he is eternal, he gives us eternal life. He gives eternal life to all those that will trust him. And I think the point that he's simply making here is that, you know what? He's eternal, but our trials are temporary. We need to remember that. There's something that you and I may be going through right now, and maybe it's been going on for a while in your life. But at the end of the day, it's simply, it's a temporary situation. You see what? Our trials, our suffering has a time limit. Listen to what Paul, as Paul puts it uh, a certain way. Uh, there in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and in 8 through 10, he says, We're hard-pressed on every side, yet we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. I like what the, the old Phillips translation puts it. Knocked down, but not knocked out. I remember one time I was boxing in the Marine Corps. And I got knocked right on my fanny. But praise the Lord. I was, I, actually, the, the guy I was fighting was a, was a big Jamaican guy. And uh, he was in our unit. And he was a Golden Gloves boxer. And I was stupid enough to say, I'll fight him. His name was Brown. He was a really nice guy, really beautiful guy. Because when I got in a ring with him, he had mercy on me. <laughs> he had a great mercy on me. I was knocked down, but not knocked out. And that's true for us, you know, in the Christian life. You get knocked down, but man, the Lord's right there saying, hey, get up. Get up and get, get back in the fight. He goes on to say, always carrying about in the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. So yeah, there's some dying, but you know what, too? Whenever the cross is at work in our lives, folks, there's a resurrection coming. There's resurrection power. And you know what? The only way that you and I get resurrection power is, you know what? you got to die to self. I don't like that any more than you do. But that's the route. That's the door. When the cross is at work in our lives, 
Also, too, there will be a, a resurrection power. I think Paul refers to that, doesn't he, in, in Philippians chapter 3, you know, verse 10, uh, speaking about that very thing, the fellowship of his sufferings and the power, the power of his resurrection. That's, where the, that's the power source. The cross is the power source for you and I, as, as like what, what he's saying here as well. Yet, you know, death is working in us, but also to life and other people as well. And so he says this, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is, is perishing, yet the inward person is being renewed day by day, for our light affliction is but for a moment. But it's working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And so therefore, we do not look at the things that are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And I like what he says here. He says, well, you know, whatever it is we're going through, it's a light affliction. And there's something weighty and eternal that's being wrought in your life and my life by the very trials and the things that we evade, that we don't want. But he knows we need. One of the things that, that I have wrestled with over my adult life is sickness. I've had times where I've been sick for two months in the wintertime. And, and I try not to, you know, I try not to let anybody know it. I just, you know, oftentimes get just sort of pumped up with some kind of medication to get me up in the pulpit for a couple hours and then I go home <laughs> and I, I die. <laughs> and, uh, and, and it's something that, you know, like, I think like Paul's thorn, it's like, well, Lord, why, why? And it's been going on for like, it's been going on since, you know, since my late 20s, my, my early 30s. And yet I've come to realize that God has used it. That God has used that in my life to, to reveal himself to me, uh, to, to work in me, to, to deepen uh, my life. Uh, and I think there's things in all of our lives like that. You know, we think that if we were absolutely trouble-free, that we life would just be, you know what, when, when you're trouble free, you know what happened? You get in trouble. You get in trouble. And he knows what we need. See, he's the perfect father, isn't he? He's the perfect father. He knows exactly what tensions uh, to bring into our lives. So what, it, it's like he, brings, he allows pressures to come into our lives that bring us to the throne. They, they bring us to him. Oh, Lord. Remember Paul said that, that he besought the Lord three times. And, and it was sort of an axiom for saying that I continually, and, and I don't know for how many, how long or how many years Paul sought the Lord for that thorn to be removed. But in that whole process, he was being drawn. In other words, put it this way. Our, our trials, our suffering, our problems, they're vehicles. They're vehicles. They're vehicles that bring us closer to him and into relationship with him and again there are things <laughs> there are things that we wouldn't choose now is the devil involved in suffering is he involved in persecution you bet he is big time look at, as a matter of fact you see that there in verse 10 remember jesus said to peter satan has asked for you Ooh. 
Satan's asked for you. Man, I don't want my name to be in that sentence. But I have prayed for you. I have prayed for you, Peter, that your faith would fail not. Paul said to the Corinthian church about somebody that was living in very deep sexual sin. He said that that person would be turned over to Satan because he was unrepentant. But we know from the second epistle, he repented. Not exactly totally sure how that happens. But I think, you know, I think what happens sometimes in sin, people just kind of turn themselves over. In unrepentant sin, I think people just, they open the door for the devil. And the devil comes in and, and, and just beats him up. Now, Job, the great Old Testament sufferer, Remember, as we see the story, Satan was permitted to test and to tempt Job to an extreme. God had a purpose in it. And I think the purpose, again, to just, I don't mean to oversimplify it, but I think the purpose in Job's life, just like it is in our life, you know what? It's refinement. And Job came through that trial like gold. I don't know anybody that's ever been tested like Job. Where you lose your entire livelihood, your homestead, all your kids. I imagine there's people in the third world that's happened to. I don't know anybody, though, that's been tested to that incredible degree. And I thank God for that. But we have to realize that, you know what? Positionally, you're perfect in Christ. But there's this thing called sanctification where we need refinement. We practically need refinement in our lives. And our Heavenly Father, He's doing that. You know, He doesn't ask our permission to do that. <laughs> he does it in perfect love. Remember when you and I said, Jesus, will you come into my life? I want you to be my Lord. You just gave him permission. You just gave him permission. Because now you belong to him. And you know something? Whatever it is that you and I have to go through, do you know he loves you so deeply? How does a parent handle their suffering child. The child is having the most difficult time. That parent gives that, ten that child more attention than anyone else. When you and I are in that place, I, I love what it says. Uh, I've, I've claimed it because, you know, the... the, the you know, the different sickness issues I've had is, and I think it's Psalm 41, that he will make our bed in our sickness. In other words, God says, you know what? I'm going to come alongside you. I'm going to nurse you. I'm going to nurse you and take care of you. Minister to you in a special way. Now, not every nurse has the gift of nursing. 
okay? But you've ever been in a situation where you've had one of those really sweet, old-fashioned nurses? And they come and they dote over you and they say, oh, honey, you okay? What can I do for you? It's like, oh. It's nice when that happens. The Lord will do that for you. He'll care for you. He loves us in a very special and a deep way. Now in verse 11, he who has ear, as an ear, uh, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. I think the Spirit of God is making these, giving great emphasis to, these, to the church today regarding these things. Lord's coming very soon. You need to be ready. We need to be careful that we're just not so focused on our own things, our own little lifestyle. You know, many of God's people die for their faith in Jesus Christ. Like last week, little did we realize what was taking place in Sutherland Springs, Texas. Or a few months ago, what, was, what took place in a prayer meeting in Charleston, South Carolina. What an atrocity. When you get some lunatic, crazy person, just comes in with the intention to slaughter and destroy, even killing children. Unfortunately, we've come to that place, and that's just not what's taking place. That's a whole other separate issue in Pakistan or Sudan. And it kind of reminds us how precarious things can be. You know, I wanted to tell you that we have, for at least over the last year, armed security in our services. I don't know if you knew that. I didn't want to tell you that. I don't think I have said that before. But we have men that are armed, have licenses and permits to carry. Some of these guys have military backgrounds. Because we care and we, that, has, that responsibility, unfortunately, has fallen to us in leadership. And if anybody comes in this church bent on reaping havoc or creating harm, well, in one way or the other, they're going to meet Jesus. <laughs> Be better the first way. But at the end of the day, security is, is all about the Lord protecting us, isn't it? At the end of the day, and we have enjoyed his blessed protection all these years. We thank God for it. That's why we want to walk in the Spirit. We want to be led by the Spirit of God. The Spirit is speaking to, to us today. This is a time, this, this, this message 
to Smyrna is timeless. God is speaking to us today. And Jesus reminds us too, our life is but a vapor. And you must be born again. It's an imperative. It's one of the imperatives of the Bible. You must be born again. And he talks about in this, in this verse 11, he who overcomes or she, either way, shall not be hurt by the second death. In other words, it's faith in Jesus Christ. That's the overcoming principle. As we trust him, as we look to him. Somebody put it like this. Born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. It's not just about our physical birth. We need a spiritual rebirth. There is a second death that awaits so many people. But it doesn't need to be. That's what the gospel is all about. The gospel is the ticket. The ticket to freedom, the ticket to blessing. Every time I go through a car wash or I was at Sam's, Sam's Club this week. And so on the way out, the, you know, they have the person who checks your receipt, like many of those stores. Looked this gal in the eye and I said, Jesus loves you today. And she smiled. She says, and I think he'll love me tomorrow, too. <laughs> and I end up going back, because Margie went in for a hearing test, and we end up going back and forth. And so we kind of laughed every time I saw her, reminded her, Jesus still loves you. <laughs> As we close... If in some way you need the Lord in your life or you want the Lord in your trial, will you please stand up? We can pray for you. If you need Jesus in your life, this is your big opportunity. He's speaking, Spirit speaking. Let's pray, Lord. How, Lord, we look to you. Lord, like Peter said, you're our life. Where, where else can we go? The world offers us nothing. Lord, you offer us everything. And, Father, we look to you this day. And thank you, Lord, that you are our burden bearer. Lord, you're the one who gives grace. Lord, you're the one and the only one that can really change us. Lord, you change the trajectory of our lives. So often, Lord, we realize as we examine our lives that we need to change. But it's only, Lord, as we come to you. It's only as, Lord, we give you our burdens. As we turn over to you our circumstances and our situations that may be 
Lord, just making us beside ourselves. We do that now. Lord, we thank you for faith. Lord, we want to grow in faith. We want to trust you, Lord. We want to look to you to do the great things, the impossible things, the things that we cannot do. So, Father, I pray, Father, your blessing upon your people. And for anyone this morning, Lord, who has stood to make their stand, their statement of faith, that they're turning over their life to you. Lord, may the Holy Spirit in their heart bear witness that they are now the children of God, a son or a daughter of God. We thank you, Lord, for all that you do and all that you are. What a great and awesome, loving Father. Oh, God bless, I pray. And may your people, may we feel and sense your love in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.